following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Let me tell you two things about myself. Um, a silly story and then a little more personal one. By the way, my name's Scott, if you haven't met me. Um, that's not one of the things. But um, the first thing is uh, that I'm a person who doesn't really enjoy starting new things unless I'm good at them right away. Does anybody else like this by any chance? Yeah. Um, there are enough things in my life that I was able to start and, and kind of be good enough at to have fun with it right out of the gate that anything that I tried to start um, that was difficult at the beginning, I just uh, decided probably wasn't for me after all anyway. Um, no, I don't do this anymore, of course. I'm a much more mature person. But for example, when I was in high school, I, I, uh, I got cut from the baseball team and so I started playing tennis and I was good enough at tennis to make the tennis team uh, right away and enjoyed that. But uh, the next year when fall came around, I thought, because one of my dumb friends told me, um, maybe I should join the cross-country team to kind of get my body in shape so I'll be better conditioned when tennis season rolls around. Um, that was dumb because cross-country is awful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nothing like fun, okay? Um, <laughs> tennis was great. The worst part of tennis practice was the, the 20 minutes of running that you did to get ready for tennis practice. And I don't know if they've told you this, but that's the whole sport of cross-country, <laughs> is the running part. And you have to go through the woods in the fall when it's muddy and yucky. And you have to like go a long way. So I went to, uh, if memory serves, one cross-country practice. And then I decided, you know, I'm probably not cut out for cross-country. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be a cross-country runner. And I wasn't. Um, and that applies to lots of other areas of my life as well. But that's probably a, a safe one that I don't have to you know, be too embarrassed about about quitting, right? Because we all agree, anybody who's got an ounce of sanity can agree that cross-country is, like, awful, right? So I don't think I'm getting a lot of pushback on this one. There's a couple people scowling at me and, and glowering at me, but they're crazy is all. So here's the other thing. This one's a little bit more personal. When I um, first got to college, I went to uh, a small liberal arts Christian college in, this, uh, in the greater Rochester region that you may be familiar with. And uh, I had a wonderful experience there. In my first year, I felt like my, my faith in Christ just sort of exploded and blossomed, and it was a really wonderful time for me. And I found this passage in, in Philippians um, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and maybe I can uh, just read it to you. Some of you have heard this, and some of you have memorized this. It says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those last words, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, became very important to me in my freshman year of college. Um, and I just felt that that was so true for me. Um, but before too long, probably by my third year of college and fourth year of college, and definitely as I left college and started to experience a little bit more of life, um, and found that not everything went my way, <laughs> and 
Not every moment was one in which I could easily find peace. Even when I read this passage, I started to sort of doubt the truth of these words. And I started to think, what kind of like immature, underdeveloped person must I have been for those words to be that meaningful to me when I was a freshman in college? And we all do dumb things when we're freshmen in college, right? Anybody who's been a freshman in college and didn't do something stupid? <laughs> I sort of lumped my... my underdeveloped understanding of what must be really complicated, nuanced words in with that other stuff, you know. Um, and the verses just didn't, didn't ever ring as true for me. And I, I didn't write them on the outside of my prayer journal <laughs> in ink like I did that year. Just didn't, didn't do it for me anymore. So we've been talking for a few weeks now about this wonderful little book by Henry Nouwen called Reaching Out. And uh, a few dozen probably of you in one form or another are reading along with us this summer. It's part of our Artisan Summer Read. And uh, hopefully those of you who, even those of you who haven't read the book have been able to get something out of the concepts and the teachings that have been given over the last couple of weeks. And um, you probably remember if you've been around that, that this book talks about three movements of the spiritual life. The first movement being the movement from loneliness to solitude, uh, a, sort of an inward movement. And the second movement being the movement from hostility to hospitality, a, a movement toward other people. And today is the third movement, which is the movement from illusion to prayer, which is a movement, as you can sort of understand, toward God. And it might you might have wondered as we went through this series why we didn't start with this movement. This would probably be the most important movement for people who are uh, theistic, people who believe in God, people who are Christians, probably would rather start with moving toward God and, and hopefully that would be a, a foundation for the other movements. And that's actually exactly true. That this third movement is intended even by Henry Nouwen, who wrote the book and put the chapters in the order he did, to be understood as the foundation for the first two movements. But the reason we don't start with it is because it's um, harder to recognize. It's a little bit more difficult to, to do and see. It's more challenging to identify how you move from illusion to prayer in, in many ways than it would be to identify how you could move from loneliness to solitude, solitude or how you'd move from hostility to hospitality. This one's a little bit more abstract in some ways. So the, illusion, the movement from illusion to prayer, what is Nouwen talking about? What illusion prevents us from, from proper prayer? Well, Nouwen says it's the illusion of our own immortality. Does that seem a little bit weird to anybody? Raise your hand if you think you are immortal. For those listening on the podcast, we had two sarcastic people raise their hands Nobody else. <clears throat> Nobody thinks that he or she is immortal. Really. So what, what, is, what is he talking about? Well, Nouwen says that, that our mindset about some of the things in our life, the fact that we give precedence to them, suggests that we ultimately don't really truly understand our own mortality. He says, we keep giving an internal value to the things that we own. 
goes on to talk about the people that we love and the plans that we make and the experiences that we collect in life. All these little things, in some cases they're not little at all. Those of you who uh, are married or have children uh, or have an especially strong relationship with a parent or friend would not consider those relationships to be small. But the fact is that despite our knowledge that everybody around us is just as mortal as we are and that all our earthly possessions are just that earthly, temporal, we all act as if those things and those people are the most important thing in our life. And what Nouwen is saying is that when you act like temporary things and mortal people are the most important things in your life, you are, by definition, denying your own mortality. You are under an illusion that you are, in some sense, immortal. Does that make sense at all? It's kind of a a funny way to say it. And his point is that that realization ought to drive us to prayer, which again is the source and foundation of the first movements toward solitude and toward hospitality. So, given that that framework, there are a couple of points I wanted to zoom in on from this wonderful little section of the book. Um, This third section of the book, I don't know if if anybody else who's finished the book felt this way or not, but it was so rich and so good, and it was like all of this... Um, thematic preparation and then in this last section he just lays it out really really nicely just buries you and I have so many little stars and underlines in this section of the book Um, I wish I could just read the whole thing out loud to you and call that a sermon but they told me I can't in seminary they told me I can't do that so um, I won't (laughs) hopefully um, you get a chance to read this on your own and, and kind of get into it but uh, I will read a couple of passages, and I just want to drill down on, on really two points um, this morning, okay? Here's the first one. The first one is how Nouwen describes the mechanism of prayer, the technique of prayer. What Henry Nouwen says prayer ought to be is a, a back and forth, an interplay between silence and Scripture, a twofold effort of engaging God in silence and in reading the Bible. This is important, I think, because that's almost exactly the opposite of how most of us pray, isn't it? Most of us pray, and it's an extemporaneous monologue, an improvised soliloquy. We take a deep breath, we say, dear God, and then we're off to the races. (laughs) We're telling God everything we think that he ought to know in order to be a good God. Everything he ought to do in order to make us happy or a little bit less sad. And at the end, we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it so that the magic will stick. We say, amen. Amen. That's how most of us pray. That's how, unfortunately, I'm so sorry to say, the the church has taught most of us to pray. 
Even our church has probably taught you to pray that way. Our church, which is the best one ever. That's not quite how I meant that. But um, I mean, even in a, in a setting where I try to be aware of that and correct for it, that's still how we pray most of the time. What now is saying that in prayer, what we need to do is take a deep breath and then let it out. Say nothing. And then do it again. And again, and again, and again. Even the Jesus prayer is just a handful of little words. How useless, right? Now one has this beautiful thing. This is the one quotation from the book I'm putting on the screen. He says, Being useless and silent in the presence of our God belongs to the core of all prayer. What a wonderfully liberating thing to say and know that being useless is actually where you need to be. It's actually what you need to be to undertake this kind of deep prayer. Useless and silent. Now, make sure you get the and there. A lot of us, not me of course, a lot of us are useless and noisy. (laughs) Right? I think sometimes my prayers are useless and noisy. Useless and and silent in the presence of our God belongs to the core of all prayer. I think if we could grasp that, if we could get that, we would be off to the races in a different way, in a better way. I want to read you just a couple of words of what he says about this interplay between silence and the Word of God. Contemplative reading of the Holy Scriptures and silent time in the presence of God belonging closely together. And here's what he says happens. The Word of God draws us into silence. Silence makes us attentive to God's Word. The Word of God penetrates through the thick of human verbosity to the silent center of our heart. Silence opens in us the space where the Word can be heard. Without reading the Word, silence becomes stale And without silence, the word loses its recreative power. The word leads to silence and silence to the word. The word is born in silence and silence is the deepest response to the word. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So instead of coming up with our own words in prayer, which is sometimes okay to do, that's absolutely okay to do, um, the last thing I would want you to hear me saying this morning is that you shouldn't say anything ever when you pray. But for this kind of reaching out prayer, for this movement from illusion to prayer, silence is the key. And instead of coming up with our own words, now and suggest that we say nothing and that we allow the words of Scripture to speak to us. Does this sound familiar at all? Has anybody ever heard me say something like this when I'm introducing that prayer and, prayer and reading technique of Lectio Divina, which we do a couple times a year here at Artisan? The reason I love that so much is because it's prayer and study at the same time. And I think what we do is we have these jabbery prayers and we have these very scientific inductive studies and we never find this middle ground where, where we allow the word to 
master us and where we allow God to speak to us. If all you ever try to do is speak to God and master His Word, the written Word, you will, you will be completely closed off to this kind of prayer. Sometimes, I would submit to you, maybe most of the time, you need to be silent and hear the words of Scripture. And that needs to be your type of prayer. But again, it's the opposite of what we think, isn't it? It's the opposite of what we, what we think and what we do. So that's the first thing, the mechanism of prayer as silence and Scripture. And the second thing I want to zoom in on a little bit is the idea of having what Nowen and others call a rule. See, prayer is just like any other difficult thing, especially this kind of prayer, just like any other difficult thing. Just because it's quote-unquote spiritual doesn't mean that God's going to make it easy for you and hand it to you on a platter. Doesn't mean that it doesn't require the same kind of work and effort as anything else worth doing that we might undertake. By the way, cross-country is not worth doing, right? That's why I didn't do it. But the truth is, in case you didn't catch the point there, is that that really probably would have been very good for my body. Probably would have made me a better and more uh, a better tennis player with, with more endurance. Just as this kind of work that you have to do for prayer is going to do a similar thing for your soul. William Paul Self said, It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. Which, of course, is exactly how we try to deepen our relationship with God in a casual and haphazard manner, isn't it? Uh, I think it's an understatement when he says it's unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in that way. And then one of my favorite, favorite, favorite authors, um, Annie Dillard, said something in a book that she wrote about the process of writing. And by the way, I think some of the most useful and instructive spiritual literature is books by well-known and well-accomplished authors in which they tell you how they write. Annie Dillard is one. Anne Lamott is another. She wrote a book called Bird by Bird. Stephen King wrote a great book called On Writing. All of these things, being people who, who integrate our faith into every little corner of our life, right, means that we can take a book about writing by Stephen King and apply it to our souls. That's what that means. Uh, so if, if that kind of made you go, huh? That's where I'm coming from with this kind of thing. But I, this is not in my notes. Um, these books about how to write tell you so much about how to live out a spiritual life. I think they are some of the best literature to go to. You just have to look for it while you're reading them. So... In her book, The Writing Life, she talks about how a writer needs to have a schedule. This was um, our, our worship meditation on the screen as you came in. This sentence that I'm about to read to you is one of the most important sentences I think I could read to today. She says, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. She goes on to say, It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands on sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace, P-E-A-C-E, and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat 
on which you find yourself decades later still living. I love, love, love these words. A schedule is a net for catching days. And how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What we are doing this hour and the next, that is what we are doing. Some of us have a, a, an intimate acquaintance with Walter White and Don Draper and Clay Morrow and uh, Khaleesi. Not the cat, Khaleesi. <laughs> we spend lots and lots of hours, this one and the next, watching Netflix. How you spend your days is how you spend your life. That is more convicting than I think almost anything I've read in scripture even recently. That's the one that really pierces my soul. How we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Now, this is of course not meant to be, um, uh, it's not meant to, to, to hurt your feelings. Uh, unless in having your feelings, feelings hurt, you might sort of adjust your schedule. This is simply to say that a rule of life, a pattern of spirituality, a schedule for how you do things, is really so practical but so important. Don't, don't fall into the Gnostic heresy here where spirituality is over here and um, material things and practical things are over here and never the twain shall meet and you have to keep them separate if you want your spiritual life to be holy. No. You need to write, write prayer on your calendar. Literally, write the word prayer on your calendar or in your phone's thing or whatever you do for your calendar. If you would put lunch with a friend on there, shouldn't you put breakfast with Jesus on there? <laughs> I'm so sorry. That, that also was not in my notes. <laughs> Totally Jesus juked you there, didn't I? That was just not... <clears throat> Listen, I mean, if you, if you need something to be on your calendar, really, for it to happen in your life, then you should put it on your calendar. But the main point is not where you write it or how you write it, whether you scrawl it or tap it or, you know, anything else. The real point is that you need to, to make a schedule for it, to make time for it. A schedule is a scaffolding. Where you can walk along. You know what a scaffolding is? Anybody ever painted a big surface, either just like the side of a house or... Yeah, there you go. That's a scaffolding. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> right. So imagine you're trying to paint way up high. You could do that on a ladder and go... And then get down and come over and go back up and go... Right? Or you could put the scaffolding up there and do this big section at the same time. Right? What Annie Dillard is saying is that a schedule in your life, whether it's for writing your book or praying is, is a scaffolding. It's a way you can stand up, have your hands free for whatever you're working on and, and work at long stretches. Okay? I love that image. I love it, love it. And I'll give you one more beautiful image that Nouwen uses. He quotes these uh, Eastern Orthodox folks a lot, and I, I love the, uh, the Eastern Church fathers and mothers. They're just so great. Isn't it a wonderful example, by the way, that Henry Nouwen, a Roman Catholic, quotes the Eastern Orthodox Church? 
They have historically not gotten along very well. He quotes Protestant writers, including Martin Luther, who, you know, historically was not a friend of the Pope. Um, I love it. And he's, in this case, talking about uh, the life of a Trappist monk. By the way, one more little aside here. Did you know that he wrote most of this book while he was on a retreat at the Abbey of the Genesee? Just down the road from us. Really cool. All right. The holy rule, that's that schedule, is for the prayer life of a Trappist monk like a golden setting for a precious stone. The rule makes the real beauty of prayer visible and allows it to be fully enjoyed. Neglect of the rule means neglect of prayer. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor? A gemstone, if you hold it up, you can't, the light can't get through it right. That's why it's, it's set in a setting on a ring or something, like on a, a pendant, so that it can be seen, it can be held up and enjoyed. I don't necessarily encourage the, uh, uh, an excessive materialism when it comes to jewels and precious metals and uh, so forth, but you get the point. The rule, the schedule, is like a setting for the thing that's really precious, which is the prayer. I, I, I'm a person who's drawn to metaphors. I'm a humanities person, if you can't tell, um, more than a math or science person, um, or a cross-country person, yes. No, you, yeah. So, so crucial that if you try to undertake this kind of prayer, that you set up a plan. And that's something that we can help with. I, I wouldn't put you out on, on the water alone here. I can help you with that life, lifeboat. We have a couple of tools in place at Artisan that I can pass on to you. If you're interested in that, please talk to me afterwards or email me if you want, scott at artisanchurch.com, and I'll send something to you. But this whole thing requires effort and practice. Just like running cross-country, since you mentioned it again, I will come back to it. I think running cross-country is just about the most perfect physical equivalent of prayer life, the prayer life that I can think of. It's hard. It's not fun. Unless you're a little twisted. It's better when you have teammates to push you along, to hold you accountable, to encourage you. And you will get better if you keep at it. And it will strengthen your heart if you keep at it. And I think the most important analog between cross-country and uh, the prayer life is that the biggest hurdle is the uh, temptation to quit after the first practice. Speaking of things that I gave up on a long time ago, now one has a wonderful point to make about those verses from Philippians 4 that I quoted at the beginning of my talk today. And I want to close with this. And, and it, it redeemed that text for me just a little bit. It's basically talking about when you can get to this point where, where you have made the, the movement from illusion to prayer. When our heart belongs to God, when God has become the Lord of our heart, when God has become our shepherd, our refuge, our fortress, then we can reach out to Him in the midst of a broken world and feel at home while still on the way. When God dwells in us, we can enter in a wordless dialogue with Him while still waiting on the day that He will lead us into the house where He has prepared a place for us. Then we can wait while we have already arrived 
and ask while we have already received, then indeed we can comfort each other with the words of Paul who says, there is no need to worry. But if there's anything you need, pray for it, asking for it with prayer and thanksgiving. And that peace of God, which is so much greater than we can understand, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. This is what we are here together to do. This is what we're all striving for. Getting to this place in the spiritual movement, we all seek to make in community with each other. Let's pray together. God, we, um, I think, are not unaware of the irony of, of praying words to you and at you after a time in which we reflect on prayer as silence. But we want to ask you, Lord, that you might give us little holy reminders to, to build this into our life that you might give us patience and the strength to make an effort in this direction, that you would speak to us through silence, that you would speak to us through the words of Scripture, and that we would be able to experience that interplay and tension between the two where one feeds into the other and the other feeds into the one. We want to be changed by your Holy Spirit, and we trust that that happens in this type of prayer. Help us, Lord, to do that which is hard and painful and not fun. Thank you for the gift of community in which we can try these things together. We pray that you would also give us those little holy reminders that that we need to speak to each other and remind each other and encourage and exhort each other in these efforts. Through it all, may we come to know you more and to love you more as we know each other and love each other more. We pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we seek to make that movement together, but it's not an easy thing to do. And a number of you have talked to me and emailed me, or uh, you talked to Autumn perhaps after the first week when she preached. Or just in conversation with your friends, you've been tossing these ideas about and thinking about them. You've told part of your story. And next week, we have a chance to have those stories be told. I want very much for those stories to be heard more widely. And so, if you've noticed a shift, if you've, if you've had some success or some failure, if you've been encouraged and blessed or discouraged frustrated, I want to hear from you. Would you please talk to me today or email me? Um, I'd like to kind of put a few of these stories together to be shared next week at our service. And uh, I think we would all benefit from hearing from each other a little bit, how this process has gone for each of us. Well, I have gone way long this morning. I apologize to you guys. Um, We have two more songs to sing, and of course we're going to take communion. And uh, I had some words to say about communion, but I think that it's probably best if I, if I just uh, land this plane and we can, uh, we can continue to worship together. Our communion table is open to all followers of Jesus. You do not have to be a member of our church or our denomination. Um, 
you have to be seeking to follow Jesus. That's the prerequisite. That's the requirement. Um, whether you walk the line straight or staggering. We practice intinction here at Artisan, which means you tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever's more appropriate for you and for your family. If you'd like to collect your children and have them participate with you, that's fine too. Um, you can go get them afterwards if you'd like, but the, the teachers down there would probably appreciate it if you got them soon since the pastor went so long today. Um, but the table is open. We'll continue to worship him, and we'll, we'll probably go a little bit past our normal time this morning. I hope that you'll forgive all of us, especially me for that. Um, our table's open. Let's continue to worship him and respond to the Spirit in our uh, hearts and minds today. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.